0: So the question was uh, you know, in order to understand it you have to be already somewhat receptive to the idea and how do I get across the border to those who don't and was it worth the effort um, well the answer to the question was it worth the effort is definitely because uh, I've been so amazed by and, uh, and delighted by the, the enthusiastic response from all kinds of different people of different ages and different walks of life um, but the, uh, the thing about having... In a way, it's always true that you only can have an understanding awakened in you. You can't have one inserted in you. And so the process of uh, teaching and learning is that of the kindling of something that is already there. And Madame de Savigny, amongst others, said that you can't know something unless you already know it. Uh, and uh, somebody... Uh, who I know well over lunch said, well, um, uh, I, I I know it in a way because uh, it's knowledge that we have and what you've done is articulate for people who have this knowledge what it is that they know. So uh, that has often been said to me. Uh, so I guess that must be right. But the other thing that is uh, um, often surprisingly said to me, uh, i.e. people send me emails uh, along the following lines. Um, uh, I read your book and I was amazed, I, I realised looking back that I'd always been a very left hemisphere sort of person. And I could never understand what other people were meaning or doing. But having read your book, I now think I understand this. And, and get this, they'd say, uh, and now my work is going better, and my relationship with my wife is going better, and all these sort of things. So when I gave up um, uh, practice, which I had to do in a decision to either carry on with a very busy clinical load or, or to do things like this, uh, and right, um, I um, worried, you know. Well, would I be helping people because it had been part of my self-image that I was that person who helped, you know? Um, and would I would I survive without that? And um, the answer is that yes, because people still tell me that I help them. So, <laughs> so, so I think the answer is that in a way you can get through to people who don't normally think that way. If I just love uh, to get your perspective on. Oh. When you look at me and um, the search for me, and it seems that we're looking for you know, a better integration and communication between the right and left brain. When you look at the mystical journey, it starts to talk about um, a kind of knowing that goes beyond that communication possible. And it starts to talk about a purification of the world of the senses and a purification of the spirit. And the end of that is divine union or recipe in God. And I wonder, what you have thought or you, what your work would have to say like that. Um, about that? Uh, Very difficult. I'll ask question about the mystical process and. Uh, purification of the senses and so on. Um, I think the question is probably above my pay grade really Um, uh, and I I don't know that I can really answer it um, except to say that it seems to me that the right hemisphere is more likely to be open to the possibility of the mystical journey Um, because first of all it understands that sometimes a thing and its opposite are true. And since mystical uh, experience pretty much always transcends normal logic and results in what the everyday brain calls paradox, um, I think it's more open to that. It's more empathic, so it's more in touch. Um, The moral sense is better uh, subserved by the right hemisphere. And although the literature is uh, uh, not easily summable up, Um, broadly speaking there is an agreement that religious mystical experience seems to be associated with the right temporal parietal region and more sort of everyday embracing of religion with the right frontal region Uh, but there is another thing which is that uh, it's very clear that blissful meditation is associated with the left frontal cortex and um, there's no question about that Um, I, I sometimes wonder how important it is, it may be a very nice experience whether it's in any sense truthful experience I don't know. Um, The the, the left frontal pole has an extremely optimistic um, (laughs) cast of mind and often we need a bit of that to counterbalance the realism of the right frontal pole but uh, uh, I don't know quite what it signifies. One possibility is that, as I say, the frontal poles uh, act to repress activity in the posterior part, particularly of the same hemisphere. So a lot of activity in the left frontal cortex would cause suppression, relative suppression, of activity posteriorly in the left hemisphere, which is where monkey mind is situated, in other words, the talking commentator and so forth. So it may be part of something that is cultivated in meditation I don't know. I mean, and while we're on meditation, because I know you're all dying to ask me about that, um, <laughs> I don't have anything profound to say about the neurology of it. I think neurology of these things is falls into the category of perhaps unhelpful redescription of something deep at a much less interesting level. But, but the fact is that in um, at least one fact that I think I know, is that in the normal waking state for most people, the EEG shows a preponderance of uh, left activity over right of 1.2 to 1, roughly. And that in meditative practice, this tends to normalize. Uh, And also, uh, another thing which I could say I, I would have predicted on first principles, but wasn't known when I write the book, but has become known since through research, is I would have said that mindfulness sounds very like a recruitment of the right hemisphere because it's that being with experience, open and receptive to it, without judging it, um, compartmentalizing it, processing it, but being there with the fact of presence. That should be very right hemisphere. And it turns out, lo and behold, that um, uh, mindfulness uh, recruits widely distributed neuronal networks, principally in the right hemisphere. So I think there is you know, an interesting story about hemispheres and religion, but it's probably so complicated that um, it would be a travesty to try to say too much about it, certainly briefly now. Incidentally, I think the rise of fundamentalism is a, a marvelous expression of the worst aspects of the left hemisphere. It's uh, that there are things that are just absolutely true and um, you know them all, and also they're in word, which you can just refer to and know that that's the case. Well, this seems to me totally contrary to the spirit of religion. I mean, a very deep uh, friend of mine, who's a canon of the Church of England and a great theologian, says how funny he finds it when his, his uh, parishioners uh, in the past have said to him, uh, how much I envy you, your faith, as though faith somehow was a certainty that answered all your questions. As he puts it, it's just the beginning of a lot of questions. Um, there were really two parts to the question. Um, is a, a more, if you like, a, more of a relationship between the right hemisphere and females and left hemisphere and males. And the other was, uh, already forgotten it. Oh yes. How can we develop the right hemisphere? Well, let's take the the, the second one first because <laughs> it's much less dangerous. Um, <laughs> um, yes, I think it can, and I think you know, I, I you know, like most doctors, I'm far more interested in diagnosing a problem than treating it, but. Um, I can see the problem, but I I haven't got all the answers. Partly, I think it's, uh, I know you're not asking me to do this, but uh, the left hemisphere would like a list of bullet points of things that it could do, which would then solve the problem. But it's not really a problem like that. It requires a whole change of hearts and minds, uh, which would be very extensive. And um, so, uh, and I also don't want to narrow down the possibilities which uh, people may, Uh, come up with for themselves. If I say things, I will narrow down the ways in which uh, you think about it, whereas if I stimulate your minds to problem-solve yourselves, you'll come up with things I'd never have thought of. So what I'm trying to do is give you an urge uh, to cultivate a seed that I've implanted, I hope, and that you will uh, grow this into a beautiful flower of your own. Um, Having said that, there are a few things that one can point to, like... uh, being silent and listening and being aware, and in other words, being mindful, um, and probably meditating, uh, and being in nature, I think probably, that something certainly very powerful happens to me, that if I didn't know that it couldn't happen, uh, I would swear was happening, (laughs) which is that nature, as it spoke to Wordsworth, speaks to me, and speaks of all the things that I've been trying to illuminate today. In fact, uh, I actually physically feel completely different uh, when, even when I cross the Scottish border, not because I'm a wildly Scottish patriot, because I'm not, um, the Scots can be pains in the neck like the English, but, uh, (laughs) but there's something wonderful about the expansiveness of the landscape, you know, I can sort of feel my frame sort of go out into it. And where I am, which is surrounded by cliffs and the sea and the mountains, I just feel a different being from the one I feel in London. You know, I'm perfectly happy to be here for a day or two, but I want to get the hell out of it as soon as I can. (laughs) Uh, So I think being surrounded by nature is another one. And, of course, uh, educating people to uh, think in uh, different ways, not... uh, pushing. I mean, a lot of education now is about shoveling information in at the top end, which never works, and then hoping that at the end you can pull a piece of paper out the back with a degree on it. But actually, that's not how education works. As I say, it's a drawing out of something that's in people. And doing that, I suppose, through the humanities, through arts, through literature, through music, through drama, would be a good thing. Anyway, I can't duck any longer the difficult one. (laughs) Um, But... uh, I'm often asked this about right and, uh, right and left and men and women, you see, um, and there's a sort of assumption which I, I kind of intuitively get, that probably there is a relationship between the right hemisphere and because of empathy. Um, that's slightly complicated because it turns out that men are not less empathic than women, they just don't express it in the way that women do. Um, but there are other rather more profound reasons for thinking this can't really be right. Um, One is that in utero, it is testosterone that causes the uh, enlargement of the right hemisphere. Uh, The right hemisphere is more responsive to testosterone than the left is. And it is also... Um, th- there aren't many things that we can safely generalize about the differences between men and women. There's a lot of literature on it. Some of it's terribly interesting. Some of it may be right. Some of it may be not. But I think the couple of things that very few people dispute one is that women tend to be more verbally fluent than men, which would suggest definitely that their left hemisphere speech centers uh, and uh, so on were better able to express things than those of men. And the other is that men tend to be better at visuospatial imagining and rotation, which is very clearly a right hemisphere thing. So uh, it doesn't altogether stack up. Um, And I I don't really like the idea that uh, they align in that way. In the beginning of the book, I say they don't. And I say, if anything, it's the opposite because of the reasons that I've just explained. Um, and I think if I may stick my neck out so far and uh, then duck behind a handy pulpit, that there may be this sort of difference between men and women. It seems to me that um, in nature's eyes, men are expendable, um, but women are not, uh, because women are definitely there with the children. The man may or may not be the father, and another one may come along anyway. So if you're going to do experiments You do it with the males, not with the females. And it seems to me that there is a much greater consistency in the female brain than there is in the male brain, which explains why neurodevelopmental disorders are four times commoner in men than they are in women. Um, Because there is, if you like, less overlap in men, Um, there is less duplication, uh, there is less redundancy. In a female brain, the right and left hemispheres are more like one another. So you don't get the extreme left brainness, and you don't get the extreme right brainness either. You tend to get a good pragmatic mix. And I think that we spot the extreme left brains because they're nerds, but we don't spot the extreme right brains who are also typically male, who are things like mathematicians, um, various kinds of artists, and so on, who, um, and we can argue till the cows come home about how much of that is socially determined and how much is not, Uh, and I think the answer is probably quite a bit of both. Um, But the fact is that there probably are differences of these kinds, and the distribution of um, almost any psychological faculty is different in men and women. It's more extreme in men and less extreme in women uh, if you like the, uh, the distribution is flattened a bit in men so that the tails stick out further um, so there is very little difference between the male and female brain in the middle of the distribution but when you get to the bottom and the top end you find it mainly occupied by males so there's a much bigger problem of mentally handicapped low intelligence men and a reverse problem, if you like, of of male um, excessively intelligent. So um, there, I said it. That's that's all I know about it. No. Um, so what are my worries about the effects of our society on children? Well, I'm not an expert, so you're just asking me for my view. Um, I think that the impact of, I I don't know much about or anything, in fact, serious about the impact of uh, literally electronic waves from mobiles and Wi-Fi. I I, I couldn't answer that. But in terms of the practice of spending extraordinary amounts of your time uh, relating to a screen, uh, well, look, it looks very like the Left Hemisphere's world, which is a virtual representation of the world. And somehow you can have 4,000 friends in the virtual world and none in the real world, because you wouldn't have any time to meet your real friends if you were constantly online with your 4,000. So there is that problem. But what do we know about this? I think there are a few worrying things. For example, um, when I was talking in Toronto, a, a teacher came up to the microphone afterwards and said, um, I and my colleagues teach uh, uh, five to seven year olds. And we have found just in the last few years that we actually now have to teach children how to read the human face. Now, to me, that was pretty astonishing because it defines what it is to be a human being. And in the past, only people with quite bad autism would have to be taught how to read a face. then there is the the uh, again it's rather anecdotal, uh, but you know we use anecdotal as a put down. But if intelligent teachers in numbers tell me that they're having this problem, I think you're a bit of an arrogant twat if you don't actually listen. And uh, people, teachers, write to me and say, "Oh, uh, have you any light to throw on the fact that I've been giving a certain test to my class every year for the last thirty years, and only recently?" <laughs> I mean, in the past, I can remember one person who couldn't do it. But now, in the last few years, 30% of the class can't do it. What is it? It's a task that requires sustaining attention. And then you have um, evidence. I don't know how good it is, but it is published research, um, comparing cohorts across generations. So we have data on people um, who were in their um, teens and 20s uh, examined um, 30 years ago and they compare them with today. And what we find is there is a difference in the level of empathy. And and I read something yesterday about a girl who was raped and a friend of hers was videoing the thing and laughing. And all her other friends were standing around laughing. And it struck me that the difference between the real world and the fantasy world is being grossly eroded. And if there were three things that I wanted to Say we're pretty uncontroversial about the right hemisphere. That you know, you could go to any neurologist anywhere in the world and, and, and say, what's very characteristic about the right hemisphere? They say reading faces, um, sustaining attention, and empathy. <laughs> so it sounds to me as though it literally is happening that we're not using that hemisphere in that way. And Susan Greenfield got into a lot, you know Baroness Susan Greenfield is a extremely distinguished scientist, wrote a book called Mind Change, about the impact of this on teenagers. And she was pilloried, at least in The Guardian. I mean, they had a vituperative campaign against her, which I thought was completely out of order. Um, and because they didn't want to hear this, they didn't want to hear there was a problem with the way they were parenting, the way they were teaching, and the way they were, they were leading their lives, I think. because everything we do modifies our brain you know eating a cheese sandwich alters your brain every single thing that happens to you you even imagine alters your brain so spending a large part of your life looking at a machine is bound to alter your brain it's not a question of could it it's a question of of course it is so why this vehement reaction against her i don't know um but anyway I, i do think it's a huge worry and i think personally that um, children are not going to forsake uh, the use of social media and all those things, although there's a, I'm told there is a trend now away from them as people see the dangers of them, and there are many which we haven't got time to go into today uh, people being crucified on the media and when a relationship breaks up my god, it's a thousand times more traumatic now than it was when my relationship broke up, um, but there is also um, you know, the problem that um, oh, I've lost my train for a moment but uh, I think that it is, it is a, a worrying thing, and they're not going to not use it. But it shouldn't be happening in school. And for one thing, people should be entirely focused on what's going on in the classroom. And so my, it, I would make an com- absolutely clean thing that you no more have a, an electronic communicating device in school than you have a gun in school. Um, we had a very profound... I guess I want to change. Is more realistic, perhaps realistic. So I just wondering if you could comment on that. Yeah. Um, well, you may know that this is a controversial area. <laughs> and you may know that uh, there is a distinction made between fluid intelligence and crystallized intelligence. And what that uh, means is fluid intelligence is a better measure really of intelligence it's like how you can bring your mind to bear on any problem irrespective of whether you're familiar with the situation or the data or whatever crystallized intelligence is how you use knowledge of the world that you have um, to measure intelligence Uh, you know uh, and crystallized intelligence is thought to be subject to Cultural bias, because it involves knowing something about the way in which a certain culture works, whereas tests of fluid intelligence don't. And I I think it's a myth that, um, uh, personally, that intelligence is um, just measuring a kind of manipulation. I think it's. I think there are the, the, the the best tests of intelligence measuring fluid intelligence are fairly good predictors of how people will perform generally in life. And they do correspond to things like ability to see uh, similarities in things, see differences in things, see how things work, see the way to solving problems, not just regurgitating a technique you've learned in school, but actually seeing things for yourself and being quick on the uptake. So I, I think that there is such a thing um, whether it's a single thing like G, which you know has been suggested that there is a core element which radiates into the others or not, I don't know. But I don't think that uh, you know that the right hemisphere's intelligence is somehow different from that. My point in showing you that slide that I did that the falls in IQ occurred because of problems in the right hemisphere. My point was that that was falls in fluid intelligence. And in a highly intelligent, <laughs> Uh, prodigy children um, tend to have more active right hemisphere (laughs) profiles uh, than others and seem to rely more on right hemisphere processing than left. So there is a a sense in which what we conventionally think of as intelligence and is actually largely accepted as what most people in most parts of the world would call an intelligent person is something that the right hemisphere is already sort of onto and is being measured, um, I would say. I mean I think there's emotional intelligence and so forth Um, and I think, I don't know about mystical intelligence, that seems to me to be, I don't know, sort of beside the point, like whether there would be mystical footwear or so. I mean it, it belongs to different realm intelligence from, yeah, yeah.